Ahoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 224 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, thank you so much for joining us this week. If you are listening to this on the day of release, Friday or the next day, Saturday, it's not too late to come to our ARG, the Amazing Avenue Regional Gathering here, happening at the Blarney Rock in Midtown at 5 p.m. on Saturday, February 11th. Come on out and say hi. Uh, I'll be there, as will Chris McShane, and we are just now going to get into our conversation for the week. All right, Chris, we are uh, just mere days away from the ARG, the Amazing Avenue Regional Gathering here, happening at the Blarney Rock in Midtown at 5 p.m. on Saturday, February 11th. So if you're listening to the show and you are local, come on out to the Blarney Rock and say hi to us. It'll be fun. Um, We'll be on the second floor. Look for a bunch of people probably in Mets gear. Maybe not. Who knows? I don't don't know how much, I don't know how big a homers we're going to be when gathering. Uh, uh, I mean, I'll probably have the Cespedes shirt on. Okay. The uh, bat flip for Ooh. anyone who's not familiar. Will you have the compression sleeve too? No, it's it's not the playoffs. I'm not. <laughs> I I, I feel, do I do roll that out. I was gonna say I feel like I've been in your presence at least twice when you've been wearing the compression sleeve. Yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, I'm gonna reserve that for playoff attire. I okay, think. that's fair. That's fair. Um, we do have a couple of things to talk about, though. Uh, last week, as I mentioned on the intro to the podcast, we recorded like 12 hours before the Mets signed a bunch of guys. So let's talk about those guys they signed. Um, well, let's, let's go with the we'll, we'll go in order of importance from least important to most important. So the Mets signed Tom Gorzellani to a one year, one million dollar contract. He can make up to one point eight million if he. Uh, via incentives and if he's not on the roster by march 24th there is an opt-out for him um what do you think of this move i mean this is this is a pretty low impact move this is a uh organizational depth move gorzellani could be a starter i guess maybe in some universe if you're squinting hard enough but he's been mainly a reliever lately he is left-handed he um you know he he's he's probably a good insurance policy in case the also signed Blevins and Edgen and Smoker all get hurt. But I don't think this is a, a move that really, uh, a sign that really moves the needle too much. Well, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm on board with all of that. You know, you look at what he had done, and it, it's one of those things in sports that keeps making you feel old. Uh, but it's been a little while since he had some good seasons for the Nationals. Uh, you know, it was 2011, 2012, and, and even then it wasn't like he was outstanding, but he was pretty good, you know, yeah. useful, uh, made some starts for them, pitched out of their bullpen, you know, it, reasonable production, certainly major league capable, um, you know, so he was good those two years for them, followed it up with a good year with the Brewers, again, you know, 3.90 ERA that year. Nothing super special, but serviceable major league arm. Uh, since 2013, though, his high in innings is 39 and a third, uh, and that was 2015 with the Tigers, and he had a 5.95 ERA. So, you know, I'm not – he only threw three major league innings last year, so reading anything into those numbers is utterly pointless. But 
it's been a while since he was a, you know, consistent in the sense of just being out on a major league bound uh, producer. So, you know, you never know with a guy like this, if you catch something random, you know, he's 34 and a half, uh, it'll be 35 in July. You, you never I'm know what's going because he's almost exactly my age. There so you go. If, if there's a guy who's my <laughs> age who's still playing, I feel I feel pretty good about that. So, yeah, yeah, uh, that that definitely makes sense. Uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not. Uh, we'd be speaking very differently about it if this were the only thing they had done. Oh, well, absolutely, yes. <laughs> but you know, it was very quick. Everything happened sort of in the course of like. 12 hours, I think. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's fine. You know, there's the opt out, uh, if he's not on the major league roster to pursue free agency, I think there was a report. Um, there were some additional opt outs for him to potentially take a deal and play in an Asian league, uh, instead. So, you know, We'll see what happens. I really don't see a way that he cracks this opening day roster without multiple injuries. Something has gotten very wrong, or he's had the greatest spring in the history of baseball. Right. Yeah, I mean, if he's all of a sudden throwing stuff that he wasn't before, or if you know he's a guy who, upon getting some counseling uh, from Dan Worthen, suddenly turns into a better pitcher, you yeah. know? But... Just looking at it, the expectations I have are low. And, you know, if you stumble upon something useful, great. I My guess is that he probably will end up opting out if I had to, you know, make a bet on it right now. Either he opts out or he has a miserable spring. Right, and then sticks around for the you know the chance to rebound. Yeah, in in Vegas though, that's tough. Yeah, that is tough. But yeah, you know, I mean, you, Tom Gorzolani. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this also has the potential to be, and this is this is really going back a ways for probably a lot of our listeners. This is uh, kind of reminds me of when the Mets signed Andres Galarraga, and was it the 2003 offseason, 2004 offseason, and he played like a week's worth of spring training games and then retired? Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. That, that's, uh, that's some good memory. Yeah, I remember it because I was, uh, I was really optimistic about that signing. That <laughs> <laughs> the big cat still had something left in him, but he, he did not. Uh, so that's also a possibility that he just you know this is his last stop in a pro, pro ball. But I think I think he has enough going for him that if he opted out, he could find a deal someplace, whether in the states or not. Yeah. Well, the second of the three signings that happened uh, was a reunion with Fernando Salas, who the Mets got last year at the non-tender trade deadline, and they signed him to a one-year, three million dollar deal. With up to three hundred and fifty thousand dollars additionally in incentives, um, I I think that we were all so uh, obsessed with the Jay Bruce situation last year, slash we were so uh, spoiled by the Addison Reed situation the year before 
that maybe maybe we as Mets fans didn't give enough credit to the front office for essentially finding lightning in a bottle a second time and getting Salas for as little as they paid for him at the non-tender deadline last year. And he was quite good for them in September. Yeah. You know, you look at it, and I don't know how to really explain it. So, you know, he, he comes over. It's only 17 and a third inning, so that's part of the explanation is that it's just such a tiny amount of <laughs> actual time. But he literally didn't walk anybody. You know, that's uh, that's hard to do even over that stretch. It is. So I don't know, you know, I don't know what to expect uh, in terms of his overall numbers. He's never been a guy to really issue that many walks in the first place. So it's, you know, obviously he's not going to go an entire season without walking anyone. Uh, but he's a guy who's limited walks, had pretty good strikeout rates, uh, you know, in his brief time with the Mets, both of those numbers, obviously zero is the ideal for <laughs> walks. Um, you don't say. His, his strike <laughs> strikeout rate went up. Uh, it was just a shade under 10 per nine. You know, that that's all great. The one thing that was an issue before and after the Mets acquired him last year was home runs, which have sort of increasingly been a problem for him over the last few years. So... You know, he he's another guy who, if you've played fantasy baseball long enough, you you know, remember guys who were closers at some point. So he closed for the Cardinals in 2011, and uh, that still stands out, I think, as his best major league season, just in terms, not just because of saves, but, uh, you know, his high in innings pitched, his season best DRA, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, Reed was a guy who I thought showed more potential before the Mets acquired him. And then it just seems that it's a perfect match in terms of everything clicking and him just going from the potential to actually realizing it and and being a dominant reliever. Uh, and he, you know, he's a little bit younger. Salas is not old by any means. He'll be 32 and, um, in the end of May, you know, so I'm not saying I would bank on an Addison Reed like upgrade over the course of a full season, but the fact that it's happened with another pitcher who came over in a similar scenario has me at least kind of dreaming on it a little. Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to get necessarily the, the uh, Reed quality either. But I think that if you look at the relief market as it stands, for $3 million, it's not a bad investment. Especially if you consider just the insurance that he will provide while Familia is um, is suspended. You know, n- Not that I'm advocating the Mets to put him in the closers role. I'm not. Please don't do that, Terry Collins. Please don't do that, Terry Collins. But you know, just, just the fact that it, it lengthens their bullpen a bit when Familia is out. And even if Familia is out for 30 or 45 games and then Salas does nothing else for the rest of the season, to me it's still worth it to give the bullpen a little bit of depth in his absence. Yeah. So, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast regularly, you know that uh, we had hopes for maybe another right-handed pitcher. But given everything they did, 
uh, you know, this is a totally fine signing. Yeah. And uh, we already mentioned it kind of, but the sort of the, the crown jewel signing is Jerry Blevins, who re-signed with the team on a one-year contract worth $6.5 million with an additional 100000 potentially in incentives, and then a $6 million option for 2018. Chris, do you remember like a month or two ago when people were talking about him getting a three- or four-year deal? Yeah, and you know, I with what Mike Dunn got, I understand why that was a thing, you know? I mean, Dunn has been pretty good, but Blevins is at least his equal, I would say. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Dunn is Dunn's a little bit younger. You know, the career numbers are pretty similar. You're talking about both guys who make a lot of appearances but don't tend to pitch a full inning at a time. Um, so when he got that contract, and I I go back to this kind of frequently with Colorado, you know, maybe that's just the tax for having a pitcher at altitude. <laughs> right. That you you got to convince a guy that it'll be worth it'll be worth it for him to make the move with his career where he knows his numbers are going to get worse. Right. You know, I mean, it's just, unless there's something that Colorado thinks they figured out with like, Oh, this is exactly the type of pitcher who would succeed here. But I feel like they've been trying to do that since they started to exist and they haven't really landed on it yet. So yeah, it, it it's weird. You know, I mean the, the deal, um, the Blevins deal does have the team option that I think as long as he's not awful or, you know, rendered unable to pitch, I would expect that they would pick it up, especially since there is a lot of salary coming off the books at the end of the season. Yes. Um, you know, that that's one of the things uh, I know. Uh, I know I will defend David Wright until the end, no matter how long that is. Uh, but I know some people will bond his salary, but there really isn't an excuse for ownership. You know, next year is the last year that Wright would earn 20, and then it goes down the two years after that. So even next year with him still at that salary, retaining a guy like Blevins should be a no-brainer as long as he's healthy. And there's tons of room to work with with, you know, the – considerations of who else is coming off uh, in terms of payroll. So I, you know, from the team perspective, it's always nice to not have to be on the hook. Uh, so for the Mets, Hey, it's great. They only got him on one year guaranteed. I, I I'm looking at it, hoping that it's a two year deal because, you know, that would mean, that would mean he's been pretty good. Yeah. And I think that's a totally fair salary for him for this year and next. I think it's uh, in probably a steal for him for this year and next. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, the, I think one of the interesting things will be to see what kind of crossover success he has during this season. You know, I think I think back, you know, get geared up now to go down to spring training again uh, in early March. And I think back to last year at spring training, and I remember I said to somebody at some point there, you know, there will be a time that 
Terry Collins leaves Jerry Blevins in a game in a big spot against a righty, and it'll come back to kill him, and they'll lose the game because of it. And I actually don't remember if that happened. I don't happens. think it ever happened, no. Yeah, I mean, it. it you know, the success against righties for one year, hey, I really hope it's repeatable. If he could just be a great reliever against both sides, that would be immensely valuable. But, you know, if if they get lulled into this sense that he is that and it turns out he isn't, that doesn't mean it's, like, damning for him. It's just, right. oh, yeah, that's who Jerry Blevins is. I was um, I was thinking about this last night. Is it just me, or did the Mets have the best? Uh, well, first of all, it's it's one of the best Mets off seasons I can remember for for a very simple reason, and that's that they got everybody they had to get. I would have loved to see them bring back Bartolo, but you know, I understand why that didn't happen. But they got all the pieces they needed to get. But in addition to that, it's just me, or did they get everybody for either cheaper or less years than they expected? I would say that's accurate. Yeah, that, that's pretty great, especially yeah. for a team that that whether the reality is there or just the perception of being poor to get like everyone you want on sale, essentially, is extraordinarily lucky, almost never happens and couldn't have happened to a team that could probably use it more than the Mets. So, yeah, good for and, them. I mean, that that kind of brings it back to a year ago where, you know, I, I was I'd say I was extremely skeptical of this notion that anybody was really, you know, from a player's perspective, anybody was really just so in love with the team and teammates and situation to be giving discounts. But I don't know. Now I'm kind of thinking maybe I'm being swayed a little bit that whatever exists among that group of guys and, you know, when the team wasn't doing so well, you always hear about the bad clubhouse and all that. But it tends to go away when a team is good. Whatever's going on, it, it seems to be working. Uh, you know, if I'm Neil Walker right now, I'm really happy that I took the QO. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The way the market played out, I think he would have – he might not have gotten that much money for two years if he was a free agent, uh, which is insane. But, you know, coming off back surgery and just the way that – guys generally didn't get paid but uh, that you know that's another thing for the Mets that that might be a higher salary than he would have earned uh, on the open market but it's only one year and it's really not outlandish for somebody who had the season that he had uh, so yeah I don't know maybe there's something to it maybe there's some camaraderie or whatever I mean I really to- think that it's, it's, it's applicable to Cespedes I don't know if it's applicable to Blevins or not because I think if, if he was really offered a three-year deal, he'd have taken it. Right. Yeah, Cespedes seems to me to just have gotten into a spot where he's never been more comfortable. Uh, you know, now we're going to look at a guy who will have spent five plus seasons. You know, and, and it's funny the you know the one third of a season he spent with the Mets really feels like more than that because of how incredibly well he did and the fact that they made it all the way to the World Series. Right. So it, it's going to feel like six years of Cespedes. And that, for a non-homegrown player, that's a long tenure with any team. 
Um, and it, it feels even longer because he had played for four teams in his first four years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, and you heard in Boston that he, you know, whatever he wasn't liked or, or whatever. And it's funny. There's so many different people involved in a team. You know, you, you figure you've got a 25 man roster, but far more guys than that play for your actual team over the course of a year. Uh, every team's got a slew of coaches and training staff and front office. There's so many different personalities. So, you know, from the outside perspective, we see them as you know, athletes and competitors because that's what, you know, that's what they're paid to do. And that's why we are interested in them. But the, uh, like w all the factors that go into making that environment have to be so unique with every team, you know, that it, for whatever reason, I'm glad it clicked for my you know new favorite uh, Met, at least among position players. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so before we get off the topic of these uh, signings, though, we were talking before we started to record and realized that without Salas or uh, Blevins, neither of which has been officially announced by the team, the Mets are already at 40 folks on their 40-man roster. So, uh, Chris, if you had to put some money down on who you think will be the two players dropped for those two guys, who do you think it's going to be? So I'll, I'll go with the easy answers is, if I, I'm putting money down, uh, <laughs> Ty Kelly and Sean Gilmartin, I think, are probably the two likeliest. Uh, there are some other guys who I think might be in that discussion, but those would be the two that I would say uh, I could see them getting cut from the 40. Yeah, Ty Kelly's already 27. He probably doesn't have a huge future on the team this year just because he's blocked by Reyes, Reynolds, Rivera, Flores, Walker, and Cabrera. And right, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a utility infielder with Reyes in the fold, he's sort of the uh, the first option for that role. And I think Ty Kelly is also a guy who, you know, you could remove from the 40 and maybe not lose. That's true. When you put him through waivers. And then inevitably when you know somebody gets hurt he could be added to the roster uh if need be right he looks too much like jamie kennedy for my interests but that's a whole other story <laughs> um but then those are good picks i could also see an outside shot of uh, a couple other folks being removed um josh edgen maybe i don't really think so because lefty relievers are are you know valuable i could see him being a let go possibly I could see maybe uh is there any chance Rafael Montero is released? I guess there would be a non zero chance that Montero could be removed from the forty, yeah. Uh and aside from that maybe Eric Goodell. Yeah. Yeah, those those are all the other names who I would think. Because when you come through the rest of the roster, it's all guys who are obvious non-tenders or guys who they just added this winter. Right. Yeah. Well, that brings us to our final topic of the evening. We have an email. As always, you can email the show at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. This is from Charlie. Charlie says, 
Do you think that we will see the Mets working on making the Cyclones a triple A team for the Mets, similar to how the Braves have their team in Gwinnett, Georgia? I believe that's pronounced Gwinnett. I could be totally wrong. Uh, having a West Coast team in a pitcher-friendly league does not help know what these players can do, not to mention the travel cost and jet lag getting to NY. I know the New York Penn League is not AAA, but maybe they could join the International League. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, Chris, I'll let you take this one because you, you seem to have a pretty definitive answer on this. But the, the short answer is uh, this is not going to happen, it, at least not anytime soon. Um, would you care to illuminate us a little bit as to why that's not going to happen? Uh, sure. So it's it's a combination of things. Uh, one, first and foremost, is probably that the Mets are very happy with who the Cyclones are uh, in their organization. And although it would be convenient to have players in AAA who you could shuttle on the train. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I would not necessarily recommend the BQE to uh, get players to and from Queens and Brooklyn, but I think they're very happy with what the Cyclones are. Uh, it, you know, it's, I, I, I just can't see the team having the desire. I, could totally see them wanting their AAA affiliate to be a lot closer than it is right now, at least somewhere on the East Coast, because obviously they're in the NL East. They play tons of games either at home or in Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., uh, Atlanta, or Miami. You know, that's all. Any affiliate on the East Coast, you're looking at a two-hour flight max, you know, to, to get to uh, any of those cities. So, I mean, without, like, taking Maine or whatever into the equation. Uh, So I think that's one thing is that I I just can't imagine the Mets would want to change what Brooklyn is. Uh, You know, I think the short season schedule works really well there. Uh, They, You know, there are Cyclones fans who may or may not necessarily be big Mets fans, but there's sort of its own culture to it. Uh, And, you know, minor league baseball in the city is fascinating. And I'll, I won't go off too much on a tangent on that. but So you have the Mets end of it, and then you also have the crazy setup of franchise agreements with minor leagues and everything. So there's just – I mean, the way that the system works, the Mets would be thrilled if the game of musical chairs meant that they could get out of Vegas. Realigning – the you know the Pacific Coast League and international international leagues. I just uh, it it would be moving mountains in terms of the way the the whole system is structured. So ideally, they can get a team back. I know the Twins. There was one report that the Twins' renewal in Rochester wasn't set in stone, which I think picked up a little bit of steam just because. Oh wait, are the Twins gonna? <laughs> you know, make a change and open up something that would be a lot better for the Mets. But there really wasn't anything to that. They kept that agreement. They renewed. And, you know, the Mets AAA affiliate remains in Las Vegas. Not only that, but it's not like your local congressman where every couple of years all the teams are up at the same time. Right. So even if there was a great deal that might open up, after the 2017 season, if the Mets are locked into Vegas for another few years, that may not be an easy contract to break. And so just the timing of it, not only does it have to be convenient in terms of it being a better fit than Vegas, it also has to work out at the same time that 
their contract is just ending in Vegas. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I get it. It's a totally desirable goal. Uh, I, I would understand as a fan wanting that, you know, like for me, oh, we can see AAA development happening right here in Brooklyn. Uh, that that would be really nice. But, yeah, I, I don't see the team wanting it, and I don't see them being able to pull it off even if they did. I mean, you've also seen how unbearably cold April games at City Field can be. Right. And and I know that there are lots of teams that have uh, AAA affiliates in cold weather cities, but they also typically have problems with early in the season with those teams. So to have a, a team in a more moderate climate is not necessarily a bad thing either. Not to be embarrassed <laughs> of bad news about this. But, you know, it would be very cool to see the Mets have a AAA team that was closer. You know, um, we've been Mets fans long enough to remember when they were in Norfolk as their AAA team. And that, that seemed like a really good fit for them for a while. And because, you know, it, it was not a long flight and it was even a doable drive. You know, I remember Gary Cohen making a joke. It, it must have been on television. But for some reason, I remember being on the radio of them renaming the stretch of I-95 between Manhattan and Norfolk, the uh, Heath Bell Expressway. Because yes. there was that one or two seasons where Heath Bell was seemingly <laughs> up er, up and down every few weeks. And, uh, you know, that was that was very possible then. Now, to get somebody back and forth to Vegas is a bit more of a, of a hassle. So it, it would be very convenient. It would be a nice thing to do. It would be a nice thing to be able to get in the car and drive down to see a AAA game with relative ease, which is certainly not the case now. But I don't know if any of those factors are necessarily things that are going to change today, tomorrow, or a few years from now. I'm I'm really hoping the Mets get back in the International League eventually, but we'll see. It might take a while. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully we'll see you guys at the ARG in just a few days. So uh, enjoy. Hey everyone, this is Steve Saipa, and I'm here to talk some Caribbean baseball. So, the Caribbean series is officially over, and the Criollos de Cagas are our new reigning champions. They beat Mexico 1 to nothing in a pretty exciting thriller, an extra innings thriller, to uh, win their first Caribbean series championship since 1987, and Puerto Rico's first championship since 2000. In the first semifinal game, uh, Puerto Rico beat Venezuela 9 to 6 and in the second semifinal game Mexico beat Cuba 1 to nothing in a uh, pitcher's duel so in the finals we had yet another pitching duel and Puerto Rico eventually won 1 to nothing Alberto Flores who was pitching for Puerto Rico and Hector Velasquez who was pitching for Mexico both were pretty solid over 6 innings uh, Flores gave up one hit and a walk over six without allowing a run, and Velasquez gave up five hits over six without allowing a run. Uh, Both starters came out in the seventh, and both bullpens locked things down, and the score stayed tied 0-0 through nine innings, so the game went to extras. In the top of the tenth, Yadiel Rivera, who uh, was on Team Puerto Rico, led off the inning with a double, 
And after moving up on a sack bunt, he scored on a sack fly. And the Mexican team went down 1-2-3 in the bottom of the inning, and that was that. So, <clears throat> in the end, uh, the Dominican Republic surprisingly went 0-4. Puerto Rico went 3-3. Venezuela went 3-2. Cuba went 3-2. And Mexico went 4-2. Uh, David Vidal, who is the third baseman on Puerto Rico, would be my offensive MVP. He hit 417, 462, uh, 875 with two doubles and three home runs in 24 at-bats. And Hector Velasquez, who is a Mexican starter, would be my pitching MVP. In two starts, he posted a 0.82 ERA, allowing nine hits, walking three, and striking out 11. So right now, the ABL, the Australian Baseball League, it's the only professional organized league that's still playing. Down there, the Brisbane Bandits are going to be taking on the Melbourne Aces for the Claxton Shield in the ABL Championship Series. And after that, it's going to be all World Baseball Classic and spring training, so I'm excited. Uh, The official World Baseball Classic rosters are going to be released later tonight. I'm recording on Wednesday. So I guess next week I'll be going over some names for uh, everyone to watch and be aware of. And no, unfortunately, Shohei Otani will not be one of them. So take care, everyone. This is Steve Sarko. Steve Saipa, who you just heard from, will also be at the ARG on Saturday, so it's definitely worth coming out to just to say hi to us, to have a drink, and to uh, talk Mets baseball, among other things, I'm sure. Um, There'll be some other members of the Amazing Avenue staff there. Uh, Rumored one robotic member, that's all I'll say, for those in the know, that will mean something. For those that aren't in the know, that won't mean anything, but anyway, come on out and say hi. Um, You can find all the staff members for Amazing Avenue, of course, at AmazingAvenue.com, where we are covering the Mets through this long, long offseason, which is, you know, almost over, but you can find lots of analysis, news, etc. at AmazingAvenue.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Amazing Avenue. This show can be found on iTunes or on Stitcher, and please rate, review, and subscribe in those formats or in whatever podcatcher you personally use. You can also download the show directly from blogtalkradio.com, and you can follow the three uh, contributors for this week, on Twitter ourselves. I'm at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Steve is at Steve Saipa. So thanks for listening. We hope to see you guys on Saturday. And until next time, let's go Mets.